the bells rung, and welcome to another edition of the Icon Showdown podcast. I'm your trusty host, Enan Hennigan, and with me again today is my sister, Magpie Jones, coming to me remote from Lakeview. How you doing? Hello. Hello from afar this time. So I hear you, you hit the Chicago Marathon today. Yes, I ran it all 26.2 miles. No, I was a spectator uh, of the marathon. It was, it was actually quite fun. It was the first time spectating. Yeah, running those 26 miles sounds scarier than any of these movies we've been watching. So uh... <laughs> feel very lazy <laughs> comparison. <laughs> well, I'm glad you saved your energy for the podcast. That's what matters. <laughs> so today we are talking about um, the two most mainstream horror films of note from the year 2001. Um, obviously a very scary year. Uh, we can talk more about that um, mm. if, if it's contextually appropriate. But um, we are going to be showing down The Others, uh, starring Nicole Kidman, versus Frailty, which was actually directed by Bill Paxton, one of the few movies he directed. Um, as it stands, though, Frailty had a October release, and it would appear that um, The Others was released in August. Uh, it had actually, in, in the United States, it was released in August, but it was released then in Spain in September uh, of 2001. Uh, what's interesting is this is considered a Spanish horror film. I mean, I think it has to do with the director, Alejandro Amenabar, but uh, it, it won a lot of Spanish awards, even though it's completely in English. Isn't that kind of odd? Uh, yeah, actually, both both movies won, or was it just the others? Uh, yeah, maybe just the others. Yeah, yeah um... A lot of awards. Uh, yeah, no, I think it was deserving, I think. Yeah, no, it is definitely cool. And you worry that it would have too much of a Sixth Sense vibe because this certainly came out after Sixth Sense. But I think it holds its own, does its own things um, with similar sort of content. Um, so as we do in this show, we break it down in terms of criteria. We have the antagonist, the ensemble, surviving characters, settings, mm -hmm. deeper meanings, and the fright factor. And as we always do, let's start with the antagonist. So in Frailty, who is our big bad? The big bad, you don't know, do you? You don't know who the bad guy is. Um, but you could have predicted it. Is it God? Is God the big bad? Oh, uh, I guess, yeah. God, well, is God the big bad? No. He's... I, huh. Because the the reveal at the end is that God was being seen and God was having his judgment day um, through the portal that were these humans. Uh, maybe right? perhaps the it devil was, was posing it? as God and getting this guy to kill people and the visions that they were seeing were really visions sent by the devil um, under cover of God. Uh, frankly, oh my God, God did I, I totally didn't read the movie well. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know if that's true. On the surface, we got to assume that it was God, but uh, most traditional notions of God do not suggest that good moral people go out and be vigilantes and essentially Dexter style take down. Yeah, it's totally Dexter. But Dexter isn't told to do things by God. He does it by his own psychosis or whatever um, pleasure. Uh, why, why then do you think the dad follows through with this plan from God? Did he seem like a very religious man to you from what we see? Nah, well, I mean, I think that the, uh, weren't the kids going to a Catholic school or the one kid they opened up with the youngest child reciting some song about um, religion. So that kind of alluded to the fact that they were being raised in a quasi-religious way. The mom, you know, was deceased. So there had to be some sort of potential spirituality or lack thereof because of it. And then 
Um, I don't know. I don't think they really spoke to religion until the vision. Um, I can't recall too much uh, insinuation that it was a part of their life, except for the kids singing the song. So you bring up the mom. Did did they say she was dead? I feel like I missed what was going on with her. Where is she? Is she definitely dead? I mean, he's got the big picture of her by his bed, so may, I guess I just assumed. I don't know if it was actually uh, said. It just, he goes, it's just the three of us, and that's the way I like it. He did say all of our relatives have died off, so. I mean, is it a possibility that he killed her? And maybe it's his guilt uh, that's bringing him to doing these these horrific murders now as the God's hand killer. I'm just I'm just posturing stuff. Yeah, now I'm gonna start think, reading through some of the reviews or the uh, synopsis after after this because I I saw it at very surface level for what it portrayed. <laughs> Dig too deep, except for um, the that's true. you know we can do there was deeper meanings. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's just talk about kind of the surface of what's going on. When we look at our antagonist, we can we can kind of focus on Daddy Meeks because we never actually get his real name. Um, and then mm-hmm. after the fact, Adam Meeks, right? Ultimately, Matthew McConaughey's character, the the son of the younger son of his, who grows up to be the second incarnation of the God's Hand Killer. What did you think about the way yeah. that they looked, and as a as a big bad, just their aesthetic? Did that do anything for you? When you speak to they, you're talking about the family. Specifically, let's talk about Daddy Meeks to begin with. Okay. Um, did you feel uh, like the way he dressed and the way he presented himself added to what made him scary? Yeah, I mean, he was your everyday man. He sat there, drank hams. I, I mean, we can get into the setting further down the line, but I actually thought that it was a very disturbing kind of main character. Um, very much like your Dexter, unsuspicious, like unassuming and very much it's unsuspicious the word unassuming and um you know just like everyone's dad you know you you know he's a what was he was a uh electrician or something like that he was a a mechanic which i found interesting so you're right he is kind of like this mid to late 80s everyman i mean these kids are kind of coming up around the same time we were coming up you get this blue collar worker who fixes machines specifically cars and then in a weird way he's he's used to getting dirty to keep the cars running Mm -hmm. in a similar way he has to get dirty to keep god's will running you know they focused a lot on and i don't know if you have notes on this or like have observed this further in what we'll talk about deeper meanings but a character that wasn't really a character but they kept focusing in on it was this axe that had the name otis and i'm curious as to whether the otis means anything because they focused it on it a lot and you know it could have just been it could have just been a your everyday you know axe but they had it engraved and i just was i was curious about that because that ended up being the yeah, the main weapon being used to kill. Oh, that is really interesting. Um, just a quick little research I just did here. Otis, apparently in biblical teachings, refutes the clear biblical pronouncements of redeeming the sinners through the atoning death of Jesus. So it sounds like Otis is saying, Otis is a character that says, uh, ultimately, you can't be redeemed um, mm. by, by Jesus' death. So it sounds kind of like a, a character that is anti-religious in a weird way so maybe it is the devil after all that is, is staring him uh, we don't know we gotta assume it's god right because you, you the whole time you're thinking it's like you know the little kid and the dad are bloody crazy 
and you know the the older son who you presume is Matthew McConaughey's character at the very beginning, but he's um, you know the good one or the sane one, and then ultimately um, those shift when you realize these visions are had and the, this guy is actually a pedophile. The woman kills her husband, and you know the the detective killed his mom. Like, is that real or is it not real? Like, that's for I guess the audience to determine. Were who was the bad guy at the end? I I thought it was ultimately the uh, turns out to be the younger or the old who ended up being a serial killer himself as he got older, and it was the little kid and the father who were right all along and not crazy. I know. That's what I thought they were alluding to, but I mean, I, I was quite disturbed nonetheless <laughs> that God, God was using humans as his, uh, um, his way to get vengeance on these devilish creatures, demons, as they refer to them as. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. Ooh. I don't know either. I think it is left a little bit up in the air, but that is that was kind of something that I was struggling with too. Are we then to assume just because Matthew McConaughey's Adam Meeks says that his brother was put on the list that God feeds these God hand killer that he actually was a killer himself and had all these bodies in the basement that he claimed to have? I don't know. Well, they have him at the typewriter at the end, and the serial killer that they were referring to at the beginning would leave notes with a typewriter. I think that's what they oh, kind of said. And that's why he so was he at the was. typewriter at the end. So the question is, is and then the brother framed him. Mm. Um, it, yeah, I thought that was the case, but... Would Fenton have become... But needless to say, I don't, I don't think it's a horror movie. Um, yeah, because Fenton... So Fenton was determined to be a... De- as at the very beginning, but he hadn't made it on. And so once he started becoming, you know, a serial killer, he was put on the list. And that's when Adam was able to go and kill him. True. What did you think about um, specifically Daddy Meeks's voice? It's, it's a soothing voice. It's always been very, uh, in whatever movie he's been in, he's also, it's been a very gentle type. And I think that's, you know, when he was with the kids before he, you know, saw the angels and then after it didn't change much. And he was very, he very much did a good job of being believable as not only a father who cares about his children, but also a bit of a a psycho who believes what he's seeing. Um, It was very persuasive. Yeah, I completely agree. It was loving, but stern, sincere and humble. I thought it was, uh, the voice was probably one of the scariest things about the the movie and the and the antagonist. It was it was almost too soothing, and you know, almost like you know when you think of church and the way a preacher talks to his like or a priest or whatever denomination you are yeah. talks to the the clergy or the congregation. Um, how they just kind of elongate all of their words. And it was very melodic and almost like could make you fall asleep. And that yeah, was like a lullaby almost. And yeah. Like, like to your point in terms of like a, a holy figure, a holy leader, essentially some of the things they're telling you are so horrifying. Like 
if you have sex outside of marriage, you're going to burn in hell. Right. But they say it, it so calmly, you know? Yeah, it was almost, yeah, hypnotizing or brainwashing, which is essentially what it was, um, to kind of put these kids in a trance about what mm -hmm. exactly they're about to partake in. Um, yeah. What did you think about the originality of him? Uh, yeah, it was a clever... Um, you know, clever way go going about making a villain. I think the seeing an angel and really, I believed that he actually saw the angel. Uh, I believe that he actually thought he was supposed to do that. And, uh, you know, this was before Dexter's days and this was before mm -hmm. the days of the village vigilante kind of killers that were, you know, became kind of part of mainstream media. It was the first time you almost cheered on the bad guy. Once you find out that he's apparently, if if you believe that that's the purpose of the movie and that these people are actually pedophiles and are bad mm -hmm. people or demons, as as might be. Um, actually believed at the end uh i wouldn't say i cheered him on that's a hard way to say it but i actually believed that he thought he was doing something right <laughs> yeah no i completely agree i found it original too a demon demon hunting father that enlists his boys that's unique mm -hmm. and a single father and, too is something you rarely see and how he just like nonchalantly just welcomes him into the seat welcomes the children into the scene like no protective aspect of that just being like this is part of your chores this is part of what we do yeah that's a good point i i, I assume that's partly because uh it does have kind of like you mentioned he is a religious leader so he's kind of bringing his kids into the way um but also how is he going to get away with murder um if he doesn't use his own property kind of like dismember and kill these these people he's got he's got to kind of tell them otherwise he's in trouble but of course yeah. we'll talk about that later it backfires mm -hmm. um let's let's hop over and talk about um the antagonist in the others who is our big bad in the others the it's the others well i mean no it's the mom the mom is ends up being the uh bad guy you don't really i don't think there i don't know if there was a bad guy in that <laughs> I mean, yeah, in, in the real world, she smothered her children to death um, mm -hmm. and then wasn't able to bring them to the to out of this purgatory. Um, but they were none the wiser. And then you have the alive uh, folks coming in to take over the house who could be considered bad guys. And then you have all along who you think are the bad guys, which are the ghosts of the housekeeper and mm -hmm. butler and um, the other help. So you, you don't really, there's no real bad guy at the end, I guess. I think your initial inclination is the right one. I think it is Grace herself, Nicole Kidman's character, who is the bad guy. She is murderous. And even as a ghost now, um, I still feel like the way that she <laughs> treats her children and the help makes her the villain of the piece. What, what do you think ultimately her motivation is before she figures out what's what? Um, yeah. it was a very, I mean, it was a very heady film. I guess she, you know, her motive, her motivation was selfish. I mean, they yeah. said that love makes you do crazy things. And she mm -hmm. was, um, obviously lost her husband in the war and it caused her to kill her own children. And you look at 
yeah, that happens nowadays with kind of women who can't, you know, or, and men who can't uh, take the grief of loss and go to these extremes. And this just happened to happen during the war. Um, and she, yeah, she took it upon herself to create the destiny for her own children because she didn't, you know, if they can't all be together on the other side, then they're not going to, you know, live. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. It is ultimately she wants to dull her pain initially. But then I would say as the ghost form, because you can argue her daughter kind of knows the truth. I'm not sure if her son does, but I think she just wants to forget the truth. I think that is her ultimate motivation um, in keeping her kids even, away from the light, even though they are ghosts, right? They don't need to yeah. be away from the light. I think she just wants to dull the pain, forget the reality. Um, what about her aesthetic? How did you how did you like the way that they dressed up Nicole Kidman's character? Uh, appropriate, because um, you're tricked at the beginning. You think she's just you know a very kind of prestigious, snooty um overprotective mom who does things her own way and mm -hmm. yeah treats the help in that in that way and she's um yeah very put together which yes. you know you're, if you're you're too high high strong and then you can ultimately unravel and i think that's what that uh that look portrayed yeah, I mean, you're hitting the notes I, I was thinking about, too. Like, the uptight mother who is overprotective, high-strung, something I put, looks too prim and proper, almost. I love that you you have the idea there of it going to unravel when it's that tight. It's going to burst. Um, but then she also does have a femininity, but one that's not sexualized, which is appropriate, given the reality of her husband. And it doesn't seem like she would ever want to move on. She'd rather die than move on from that love. Um, what do you think yeah. about her voice? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Her voice? Um... There was a lot of similarities. I think she's a kind of a cold character. Mm -hmm. I was going to, since you tapped into it a little bit, I am a bit confused about the purpose of bringing the husband into the the scene. Like, I don't really understand what happened there. <laughs> uh, well, he's dead. So yeah. he ultimately is, I don't know, able to guest spot in this haunted house. Um uh, he probably is in heaven and she's in hell, which kind of confuses me. Why would the kids then be in hell with her? Uh, no, I think sure they're in purgatory. That. They're not in purgatory. hell. Okay, yeah. okay. But why wouldn't she go to hell as a murderer, though? And a su suicide. Both of those things would suggest if there is that afterlife like where we, you retain a sense of self. Um, I mean, yeah, I hope you're right in Purgatory, but what about what about the uh, the help? Because they're ghosts too. Why are they stuck there? Is it something to do with the house itself that like stick stickies? Right, because they talk about how you know they attached they were to the house. Um, but that that's a good question as well. I mean, there's the superstition, which I thought was the creepiest part of the movie, and I remember this from the first time I saw it about the the pictures that people take of them when they're dead. Um, and that they think it's, you know, allows them to, their spirit to live on or something, I, something like that. And when Nicole Kidman found their pictures, that was mm. so eerie. So you just think about like, that that actually did happen. And, um, I think that they're, yeah, the woman who couldn't speak and I guess, she stopped speaking the moment she found out she was dead, I guess was yeah. the scenario. 
yeah, Maybe there was a lot of side that... stories going on. <laughs> right, that's true. What I understood is that she was there working when Nicole Kidman was alive. Am I, am I crazy? And she stopped speaking when she when she happened upon uh, the dead body of Nicole Kidman's the suicide, and then the dead kids. Mm. Maybe I misheard, but that's kind of what I. That would make a lot of sense, story. but Nicole Kidman didn't seem to know who they were. That's true. Um, that is that is a question. But she's yeah. blocked out so much as it is. If she can't remember what she had done to her own kids. That's very herself, true. Perhaps That's she's blocked true. more out. Um, okay, in terms of the originality of Grace as a bad guy, what do you think? Oh, I think it's great. I think it makes yeah. for a great movie. And that's probably why they won so many awards. It's like mm-hmm. this... Like in real life, she's a bad guy. In the afterlife, she's a bad guy, but doesn't know she's a bad guy. And yeah, there's a lot of dynamics that make her a great villain, I think. Um, and just her frailty. And you say she's not feminine. She's not because she's like the leader of the household in that respect. But she's, I mean, she's like a badass mom who sets oh, yeah. the story straight for her children, um, but almost overboard. Oh, yeah. And, and I, just to clarify, I didn't say that she wasn't feminine. I thought like she, there is a femininity to her. There are motherly femininity, but there's no sexualization of her in any ways. There is so, with the husband. And that's what brought me to that. It's like they like have their little thing and then he disappears the next day. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> was that all a delusion, you think, of her? Like a, a ghost? having? No, because the kids saw him. Oh, that's right. They did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is that is the biggest uh, oddity of the film. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's pretty original. We have very similar kind of big bads in this, like the two sides of the coins between Bill Paxton and Nicole Kidman's. She's ultimately like the oblivious mother that thinks she is doing good by her kids, but is actually preventing them from seeing the truth or, mm-hmm. or being knowledgeable. Um, and I think it is interesting to have these religious overtones in it, too, where the kids are kind of the more skeptical, where she's like, blindly devout wanting them to study and read the bible when in reality Mm -hmm. she's the one that has contradicted it so much i would love to see those two main characters (laughs) interact with one another there are a lot of similarities like the children yeah a perfect match (laughs) i I don't don't know know. you know he would kill her he'd kill her and she'd be like she'd be like that's way below my standards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's true he's got that uh we'll talk but about no, setting, so right? many similarities within these two movies and that's why i like they're i don't consider them horror movies if i'm going to be honest uh maybe scary, scary movies. yeah i mean yeah there's a lot of hacker stuff but they don't really show it i think the, the most gruesome aspect of frailty was um the axe to bill paxton and then the most gruesome thing or scary thing about um, the others was the old lady probably possessing the young child or vice versa. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't consider it more. But anyways, moving on. I Okay, the only argument I'm going to make is this treading into the deeper meanings, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but one of these came out just days before September 11th happened. It came out on the 7th, and the other one came out a month later, and while it wasn't necessarily consciously tied to what happened there, the way that I feel like ghosts and the undead haunted america still to this day kind of makes it a horror you know i don't know i i, I do think they they would be in the horror section of a blockbuster video they're not going to be in drama they're not going to be in sci-fi they're going to be in horror right um but you're right in that it's more of a theological supernatural sort of horror than like a slash yeah yeah i'm with you there but i still think we have murderous characters 
that uh, there's supernatural stuff going on, I still feel like, if, where are you putting it in the blockbuster video, you know? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, don't you have like a, what's a, you worked at Blockbuster, you should know the categories. Like, isn't there one that's more of like just scary movies, not horror? You could, I mean, I feel like most scary movies are going to be in the horror. Maybe you're talking about thrillers, but thrillers. Thrillers, all, yes. There's the blockbuster didn't actually have a thriller section though. You maybe your rinky-dink uh, video stores might have, but frankly, we're talking more stark categorizations. You have adventure, drama, comedy, horror, sci-fi at blockbuster. That's it. Okay, well, it's definitely not sci-fi. There's no science involved here so yeah, fair enough if you uh, look at the year and in terms of the parameters set by uh, this initial month of the icon showdown uh, mm-hmm. i would argue these are the two most notable horror films and i'll admit they're more scary films than horror films let's let's go let's go that route they're, they're scary thrillers they're like you said they're, thr- they're, sp- they're not the scary i was not scared don't have any, thrillers don't I mean, have any supernatural stuff in them thrillers do not yeah. have supernatural stuff in them and i think that's where uh, it either okay, you know, I forgot one section in Blockbuster Fantasy, but this is scary, and usually mm-hmm. there's not as much scary going on in fantasy. So I really do feel like I hear where you're coming from. I had thought about that actually considerably because I'm like, hmm, these are more scary than like horrific, but right, you, you like... can't even talk about Blockbuster anymore, anyways. You have to talk about Netflix, and where would it be categorized in Netflix? There's got to be a different category now, nowadays, maybe back then when Blockbusters existed. Uh, but anyways, yeah, Deeper Meanings, uh, September 11th. I mean, there's no Deeper Meanings, obviously, in the sense that it was created before any of this that went down. Um, but it probably had a bigger impact than probably intended in mm-hmm. the, the thought process of what happens after death and how how people deal with it. And, right. um, and also I, the implications of murdering somebody based on like wartime and also religious beliefs. The, uh, totally. Um, the frailty is in, in, you know, insane if you compare it to the thought process of the terrorists. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it, but it is um, the extremes that people go to in the name of their... Uh, religious leader or thoughts or books or Bibles or verses or whatever makes um, whatever their beliefs are uh, can skew judgment and skew morality to ultimate extremes. And that's, you know, these, that's what Bill Paxton character could could potentially have convinced himself of. um, And that little child potentially thought he was having those visions and it just gets so or whatever it was brought him through to his Matthew McConaughey character and none of it was real but he believed it so much that it was his reality um so what are we going to give him in terms of pentagrams let's start with frailty uh we can kind of combine the two meeks how many pentagrams for the god's hand killer which is initially daddy meeks and then becomes adam meeks as oh, a, I mean, he is essentially yeah. a serial killer, even though he's devoted by God, he is killing people ruthlessly in a serial manner. I'm, I'm just curious about where the name. Sorry, I'm going to not give a pentagram yet because I have another question. Sure. The um, the names and how they come to him because you know he had to go to like Jacksonville once to find mm-hmm. the person. He, he doesn't know these people. Right. They all seem to have a 
bit of an oddness to them, especially that last guy that uh, Adam Meeks ended up killing. And, um, you know, these flashbacks apparently show them doing, where do these names come from? They can't just come from out of the blue, like lottery ticket numbers. Like they have to, there's a reason behind how they get on a list. I mean, one could could argue that, um, okay, he sees the angel when he's under the car and the angel then imbues these names within him. But there is a contradiction. When he kills that first lady, he kind of tells the boys, yeah, God led me to her and I was able to find her house because God showed me. But then when he's looking up the next guy he's going to kill, he's looking in the phone book. So he directly contradicts himself. And it would definitely make Fenton be like, wait a minute, why are you looking up the address of this next guy? if God can just tell you where they live sort of thing. No, um, I don't think that was the case, though. I think he God tells them the names, and then he has to find them, and that's where the phone book came into it. And I think he he only found things that God steered him to. The weapons is where God, yeah. like, sh- shone the light on the barn where he found the yeah. axe. I think the people, he had to track them down. He God only gave him the names. But nonetheless... That's how yeah. confusing and awesome of a character this was. So I would give him a 3.5. Yeah, me too. I think that's that's accurate. What are we giving uh, Grace? Uh, I think she deserves a 3.5 as well. I think they are on par. I really do think they uh, mm-hmm. are great to compare between the two. Very similar. Yeah. Between- simultaneously. Okay, let's bust over the ensemble as a whole. Looking at uh, Frailty, what was, what was the worst, weakest link for you? Who, was, who do you think was the strongest performer? Who was the weakest? Oh, my God. I really love the kid actors. I think they did a freaking awesome job. Both of them, right? Yeah. You know the little kid? He is the... Oh, sorry. Just plug in my computer here. He is the... Uh, he ended up being, like, really famous. He was in Peter Pan. Um, and then, like, a bunch of movies nowadays as an adult. Uh, and then the talking about the older, younger kid? The younger kid. And then yeah, the older kid hasn't been in much at all. But I thought the older kid was a great actor. I thought he was uh, too, especially when he's tra- trapped in the uh, cellar for weeks on end. Yeah. And when he finally comes to that realization, I saw God. Uh, I thought it was it was really great. It I don't know where that was going to go. Like, if he was actually just going to play along with it for eternity. Or I, I'm glad, obviously, he didn't let being stuck in that cellar changed his belief system either. True, true. He was all a show for his dad in the end. Um, in terms of the character development, did you feel like they were all developed decently? Did they all yeah. get their uh, dues? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think so too. Up until adulthood. <laughs> I, I, I do think there was a little loss between where Fenton wound up right. and his child character. I agree with you. I wanted to see a little bit more of the older Fenton relationship dynamics um, in Frailty. Was there anyone that really stuck out to you? Ah, the brothers' relationship I thought was was epic. Yeah. And also, I I found it interesting the way the dad related with them both pretty differently. Um, Granted, you have more of the sycophant in Adam, the one who just blindly follows his dad. But I did, I saw a struggle in Bill Paxton. I feel like Bill Paxton became a much better actor as uh, he got older. And here is, like, he's both directing and acting in this one. And while you still see Bill Paxton there, I feel like he was creating a really compelling character. And it was it was shown through his relationship with the kids. And I think he was probably drawing from his own life there. Um, and finally, in terms of diversity, though, ooh, we can kind of talk about both of these in diversity <laughs> right now. 
Not that. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was a, the right type of movie to throw in any diversity. I mean, <laughs> they're in yeah. like middle America uh, murdering people. It could be True. very controversial um, if they yeah. tried to tie that into the, the storyline um, or tie, I don't know. That's the very wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, this, and we can actually say the same thing for the others. It just probably wouldn't have made a lot of sense to have people of color or or somebody who happened to be LGBTQ like up in there yeah. wouldn't wouldn't be necessarily um, timely, I guess, right. or appropriate for the time. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's really pop over then to the others and talk about the character development there. Who do you think was given the best development? Um. I would say the main character, obviously she, Grace, she, Grace she her awareness, Grace, uh, Grace's awareness. I think the children dynamic, the brotherly sisterly relationship was similarly to frailty was pivotal to yeah. how the movie evolved and the girl playing tricks on the little boy and him being able to believe her when it was necessary not believe her right. when she was being a dick. Um, and yeah, I honestly thought Lydia, the young girl had the best like character arc as a whole. Cause you kind of see, her... is it Lydia? I think Lydia is the daughter. Am I no, Lydia's right? the silent one. It's oh, Anne. Lydia's the silent one. Who's the, what's the daughter's name then? Anne, Anne, I think. Anne Stewart. Yeah. And then Nicholas is the young man. Yeah. Um, I felt like she was given a better due than he was. He was kind of... But, you know, he won all sorts of awards for his uh, performance as oh. that kid. He was believable as a scared was. kid, wasn't he? He was. Um, but I think she she just... Her relationship with, um, with Grace uh, was the really a really important relationship in the movie. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, is there any dynamic between besides the... The mother and, and her kids. Was there any? Other yeah, the concern? the main housekeeper in her relationship with her trio, as well yeah. as her relationship with um, Grace. Yeah, that, yeah, I thought so she too. was. She was. She was essentially the next main character besides True. besides Nicole Kidman's character. And even though she's kind of the surrogate mother, she's actually more motherly and looking out for the kids more than their actual mother is. And yeah, but she doesn't even have to be so creepy when she was walking up on them in the graveyard. <laughs> she has a ghost. That was creepy for sure. I think she was like ironically trying not to scare them by not like rushing yeah. them, you know? <laughs> I think acting across the board in both of the films, there's not really a weak mark. Maybe Powers Booth as the FBI agent and Frailties maybe our worst player as a whole between the two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know... Well, it depends on whether he actually killed his mother or he didn't kill his mother. Because, oh, sure. like, if he did kill his mother, I think he did a good job of pretending not to be a bad guy. But I, oh, but he did. Because remember at the end, he goes, How did you know? Yep, he did. So did. that means those visions, we just solved the mystery and we started real. at the beginning. Yeah. Is yeah, I those... think we got to assume they are. Ooh, but, there is a god. God's well, making people kill it people. It could still be the devil, though. You never know. The devil would take God's form if, if people are susceptible to it. The yeah. visions are probably real, but do we know who's actually sending him on these missions is the question. Um, okay, so let's, let's grade the ensembles. We don't have diversity in either one of them. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Pentagrams for... Yeah, I guess you take off... A, but you don't need... like Not you don't need, but... 
I mean, I would only take off a half a point maybe because of that, but I think the ensembles in both movies yeah, were fours. Fours, fours, man. We are tied up here. This is a close showdown thus far. Um, let's talk briefly about the surviving characters. Um, okay, so who survives in frailty? Did I lose you? Hello? Hello, hello. Uh, let's talk about the surviving characters. Mother in a girl. Hello. <laughs> Can you not hear me now? <laughs> so close. So oh close. Say hey what? Hello, hello, hello. Let me do a clap just so I know where that is. Uh, I'm going to go and come back, I guess. Hello, hello. Can you hear me now? I heard hello. you. Then you he came off. Hello, 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 hello. Not sure why you wouldn't be able to hear me. Hello, hello, hello. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, we good? Yep. All right. Um, where was that? Okay, we're pentagramming. Okay, so... Uh, no, we're not. We're go Okay. So let's talk about the surviving characters really quick. Who survives in frailty? Um, all the... Well, no. In their... No, okay. <laughs> Who survives? Uh, Adam. Adam's the only one that ultimately survives. You could argue... And procreates. Did you notice that they highlight the fact that he has a bun in the oven at the end? Yes. Yes. That was a good good tag at the end. Super creepy with him on the street. He's in daylight as a sheriff now. Um, mm -hmm. a lot, there is a lot of comparisons there to Dexter then. He's more like Dexter than his father was mm -hmm. working in law enforcement. Um, what about um, in terms of the means of escape? Did you like how let's let's consider Fenton kind of is more of the final character in a way, because until mm -hmm. we learn he becomes a murderer down the line. Did you like how he took out his dad? Was that a compelling moment for you? Yeah, I was happy to see that happen. I was, I Axe didn't know. To the heart. Yeah, ooh, ooh, it was brutal and um, a great scene, especially with the then Adam coming and killing off the other guy. I, that was a really good scene. I thought that Fenton, how he, like, how his character just kind of ended at that point, saying to Adam, like, if you ever, mm -hmm. oh, what was it? If you, want to destroy me bury me here right it wasn't like me, kill me. me in the rose garden it wasn't kill me and remember they highlighted like if it, it, he didn't say kill he said destroy yeah what's that sim symbolism there i think that he's been ruined by his father he's actually been corrupted and he knows he's got this horrible future ahead of him having watched so many people be murdered it ruined him he's been corrupted you know what i mean um mm -hmm. i think he knows he's gonna do he's gonna become a bad guy himself um, mm. and partly, I think that's that's going to happen because of what he was like corrupted by. Yeah, can you imagine if that actually happened in real life? Oh my god, brutal! Anyway. Especially when the first is an, a nurse, right? That that is rough. So that's actually interesting because we talk about the determination to survive. It does seem like Fenton really wants to survive. Then until at the end, he has to kill his dad. So now he is a murderer himself and has been ruined and is a demon in the eyes of God or whatever. Um, I mean, right he did everything he possibly could have done, right? He went and told an adult. <laughs> that adult died, and his dad said, if you tell anyone, someone will die, right. a human will die. Mm -hmm. um, and he kept that promise, uh, or destiny, whatever we'd call it in this situation. And then, so he was pretty much shit out of options at this point, right? He couldn't yeah. make... I mean, he could have run away. He could have run away like he kept talking about, but then he would have left Adam behind. But he wouldn't have left his brother. Well, I think he should have. <laughs> <laughs> he should have too, little brat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, iconic status. It, what do you think about the, the surviving character being like ultimately Adam? Let's say Michael Matthew McConaughey's character mm-hmm. is this one for the ages? Is this the bad guy or bad guy slash good guy final figure in a scary movie for the ages? I mean, there's definitely the you know I always think of these type of movies as if it's iconic like. Can't, can they make a sequel off of it? Is this mm-hmm. a character who's strong enough on their own to, you know, have another, you know, storyline thereafter? And it, yeah. it definitely ended in that in that way. And sure. how he, you know, narrated the entire thing, I thought was great. I think the narration made the movie. Yeah. Um, and his his kind of, you know, trickster ability throughout it was. Um, was really good. So yeah, I think it's an iconic character. I mean, I didn't know of this movie per se before mm-hmm. seeing it. I so do that's think that's what... a ding. I do think that's a ding for it. Everyone knew the others. Yeah. Um, but we but but we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves because iconic status is just one part of the surviving characters as a whole. But I agree with you. It's a ding. I would say in terms of surviving characters, for me, it's a three. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a three. Agree. Okay, let's talk about the surviving characters and the others. Who lives? <laughs> no one was ever alive. True. Um, you could a Victor. Argue... Victor lives. Victor does live. The actual uh, living being, living Hello? human being. But you could argue that the um, the kids are are kind of like they they get reborn when they get to actually experience the light. I kind of look at the kids as the surviving characters who are able to overcome the antagonist and their mother with the help of um, Mrs. Mills and Mr. Tuttle yeah. and then Lydia. Um, so I kind of I'm kind of looking at the kids as the surviving characters here. Um, but I and will they say... don't ultimately seem sad at the end. No, that's true. They, they, they still get to live the life that they were living, only better. They or... never get to grow up though. It's kind of like a Kirsten Dunst in interview with the vampire. They're forever going to be children awkward um, <laughs> not great um in, in terms of their determination to survive then for those kids do you think they wanted to live or do you think they cared why did they not fight when she was smothering them she just that strong yeah i don't think you can fight <laughs> fair, fair um iconic status of the kids or even you could say nicole kidman because she kind of survives her own demons at the end I think she is a memorable kid. I didn't really remember the kids, even though when I watched it, I loved them. I think yeah. we're at the same level at a three. Do you want to give it a 3.5? Did you think the Are we survival? not going to have a winner in this thing? No, yeah. we still got three categories. We'll have a okay. winner for sure. Yeah, I'll give them a, uh, the same grade. Okay, uh, let's talk about the setting then in Frailty. What did you think about oh, okay. Middle America? Did it work no, for you in terms of the mood? I- I have a, a soft spot for middle America movies, um, especially with the hams in their kitchen. It just reminded me mm-hmm. of like, you know, American Girl doll kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it just being a single parent home and the right. twin beds sharing a room with the brothers. I just thought it was like set up quite nicely for what the purpose of the movie was. Obviously, sheriff's office literally being one of three things in the in the town at the end. Um, yeah, I mean, it was typical. There was nothing yeah. shocking about it. Yeah, but. exactly. When we talk about the originality of the setting, 
or the uniqueness of it that's probably going to get dinged on that one. But I did find it interesting in terms of what they did with the aesthetic and the ambience because it was always bright and sunny for the most part, except when it's night, of course. But there wasn't like any overcast days. Typical middle middle, middle America home. It actually kind of reminded me of Grandpa's home in Florida a little bit. Um, it was comfortable, economical with like the TV dinners and stuff. Um, I think they were great. in Florida, weren't they actually? Were they? Okay. He, talks, he works sense. in Jupiter and he went to Jacksonville. So yeah, oh, they're in so Florida. So it's not middle America. It's a Floridian oh, home. So yeah, they're in Florida. cooked his brain. All right. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. and so in terms of the uniqueness then, what was your favorite spots within it that you felt like weren't super cliche? Because, you know, you're in domestic homes a lot. Um, was there yeah. Spot that you liked and feel like, oh wow! When I re- look back on this movie, this is the area that I'm going to remember the most because there's one. Thing. I think the rose garden. Um, That's yeah, one of two. I love the rose garden. The fact that the house is behind the rose garden, so there's two mm-hmm. ways to get into the house. Um, and then I would say, uh, I mean, the barn's kind of cool, but it's kind of cliche. Yeah, the barn is, but the cellar isn't. Making that kid dig the cellar, I think, is like he uh, yeah. made the kid dig like the most scary setting in it. Um, and I like that you bring up the rose garden because that kind of points to my question about the wife. Why would he put him? Why would he put the bodies in the rose garden? It's almost like the father's failed romantic love, and now all he has is this fatherly love. He's almost like you said, a priest figure who must now abstain. Why isn't he worried about finding a new wife or anything like that? Um, I don't know. Right. Where's the romance? Romance uh, (laughs) speaks to them being buried in a rose garden, which is stereotypically associated with with love. Um, Let's talk about the setting of the others. Yeah, that I mean, that was really original and really phenomenal, like time frame wise, um, size wise, like it is just imposing the purpose of the curtains, the curtains just being a character in and of themselves. Um, The like having to close the doors when you walk in one room and out the other, like the elements that were built, the elements of the storyline that were built around the setting um, really made the movie what it was. So yeah, I think it was super original and um, memorable. Yeah, I agree. English Channel Islands, the home set there, um, essentially post-war, right? I think it's 1945 we're talking about here. It's bleak, sad, dark, dreary, cold, and sterile. Um, and it does well to support their own lifeless beings. I felt like there was a good mirror of the emptiness. Couldn't of the hear house. anything. I felt like there was a good demonstration of the house being a metaphoric representation of them. This sort of like dark and dreary, lifeless being, like they mm-hmm. actually are now, sadly. Um, and it didn't age. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it helps that you have all those those ghost housekeepers there keeping it keeping it alive. <laughs> Um, So uniqueness I'm going to have to argue with because I do feel like we see a lot of haunted houses like this. I like this specific one. I thought the production value of it was amazing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, a haunted house is something you see all over the place, you know. What they did with the twist at the end, I felt like was unique. But the setting itself, for me, not as unique. I like the room with um, all the mannequins, I guess. Yeah, piano. I love the staircase. But in yeah. terms of something new, I mean, at least for the cellar and the rose garden and frailty, kind of did something new for me. I felt like I'd seen these this haunted house before. That's fair. Um, so let's grade them. Oh, what are we going to give the uh, frailty in terms of setting? I would give it a three. Me too. Um, and I would give others like a 2.5. I hate to say it, but I'm going to give it a ding just because it is a haunted house. You know oh, what I mean? I mean, inherently, would you want to give it a three too? 
you really liked it, I'm willing to. I just think it was a character, you know. It was, it was part of the whole concept. Okay. All right, you, you you won me over. It's a three. We're still but that's tied. true though. If you think <laughs> about like the um, yeah, that what's that movie, House on Haunted Hill? It just was very similar to that. Like or you can't haunting. leave the house. Yeah. Or the haunt. And... Yeah. I, can't. I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll give it a ding. Two point five. All right, 2.5. So we do have a, a leader currently, but we're getting into the juicy stuff now with the deeper meanings. Did you see any deeper meaning going on in the others? Uh, I think I'm sorry, talk- frailty. Let's start with frailty first. Okay. Yeah, we talked a lot about the deeper meanings with religion. I mean, they both revolve around religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can kind of bypass that because we've already talked and about And being that. a single parent, both of them. Yeah, a single parent. The potential loss of the other parent. We don't know that for sure in frailty. Um mm-hmm. And the the sibling bond kind of situation yeah. was or rivalry there. bond or in rivalry. others rivalry in well, well yeah. there's a bond there too but in frailty you do get that rivalry yeah and just the influence of a parent depending on what age you're at and you're and kind of just like the thought process that you, or the independent thought thought process that you get as you get older mm-hmm. um, and not being believing everything you're told I think they talk about. Santa Claus uh, in like in frailty. So there's, um, I mean, a lot of that is just etched into the storyline. Very obvious, like hidden meanings. I don't think anything was shocking. They're just thought provoking. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I didn't feel like it was crazy metaphors going on. Um, what what I did see in deeper meanings that I kind of think is like the opposite of the others, which makes me maybe like the others deeper meaning more, is that if you know like Matthew McConaughey and even Bill Paxton, they're both very religious guys in real life. So for me, when it turns out God is actually talking to them, it started to take on like a preachy vibe. I would have rather um, had the ambiguity there than no, for sure. How did, how did you know I killed my mother or when he goes into um, to deal with people where there's video cameras, the video cameras all blur out. I guess it just felt yeah, more pre- preachy cool for me. Yeah. It was a cool part, but in terms yeah. of a deeper meaning, I feel like it, it did have like like it was pro Christian, whereas the yeah. others was more like eh, you don't want to let religion control your life. But uh, if frailty was like, yeah, do it. If God tells you something, follow it. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, yeah, it was. A- almost too straightforward frailty especially now that we know exactly based on that last interaction between the final victim and um and matthew mcconaughey's character is what they were trying to what's what purpose ultimately the movie was meant to have um so yeah i agree i like ambiguity and i think that uh it allows for kind of more more to take away and think about at the end of the others yeah, and they both deal with mental health. Um, I think maybe it goes a little deeper in the others in terms of the effects of war on a family and specifically mm-hmm. becoming a single mother in a way we don't know what happened to his or to Bill Paxton's wife. Um, one's inability to see themselves for who they really are. Um, granted, Bill Paxton's character is zealous. He knows he's talked to God. Apparently, he is talked to God. So there's not as much complexity in terms of just the psychology of the character there. Um, and, and interestingly, the children... <laughs> being more suited to care for the parent than vice versa is actually true and the others. And we think it's true in frailty, but then we're given the old switcheroo there at the end. And I do feel like the others deals with the class system a little bit better between like an upstairs downstairs sort of thing between the help and, and her. Um, 
So as a whole, for me, Deeper Meanings is going to be getting more pentagrams. What, what do you say? What do we give? Unless there's something I missed that you wanted to talk about. So for Deeper Meanings, no, I think you you, um, you mentioned all that I saw as well. Um, I think, yeah. So I think frailty, I what are we giving frailty? Frailty, a 2.2. Can't do that. <laughs> 2.5, I think, is fair for that one. <laughs> Okay. Um, and I would give others like a three. Three point five. Yeah, that's why I won all those awards, man. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is fair, actually. There's a lot going on there. Um, Mm -hmm. So the others is now in the lead by point five. Um, As we go to Fright Factor, let's talk about the kill countings in Frailty. I think we have six or seven kills total, and then what we don't see off screen, obviously, because he has those long lists. Did any of the kills actually scare you? What was the scariest one for you? Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't like seeing old men get murdered. <laughs> so like yeah, the, the, the bait guy. using the kid as bait. I think I didn't like that. Mm. Uh, it, if the man was innocent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean, I think the killing of the dad was the only one they really showed. Oh no. Also, well, not, I guess the they didn't cop. really show up, but the cop, the first cop, the sheriff. Right. Yeah. He, went, he, was he got axed to the head, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was a pretty uh, graphic one. That was, that was. And you're right in terms of, actually, you see the end kill, too. You see the FBI agent get killed by Adam. Yes, that's true. Um, but you're right. It wasn't like crazy graphic with the exception of Bill Paxton getting the axe to the chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I felt like there was scarier moments in this, especially when Bill Paxton would touch the people. And even before we actually saw the flashes he was having, like, oh, my God, is this guy just a nut? You know, um, he did a really good job of making it seem like he, he was actually he was sucked into these people. Yeah, <laughs> true. That's true. To me, that was that was like the scariest when he would touch the people and give himself the ability to actually kill them. Um, yeah. In terms I like that, of, yeah. was there any music that stood out to you in, in frailty or sound design that was, that no, typically catch on to like music um, or yeah, specific cinematography. I do think it was, it flowed very well. And I think there was no kind of necessity for a, a crazy soundtrack by any means yeah. did you notice m- music no i didn't notice and the only reason i bring that up is because i kind of did notice the soundtrack and the others i think the music and the sound design really played into the fright factor and really mm-hmm. helped amplify the spooky vibe that being said when we talk about the others fright factor we only got three kills here we yeah. didn't actually see anybody die do we or did i miss a death on screen death no on-screen deaths. I think that it was spookier for sure with the pictures of the dead uh, housekeepers, um, the unveiling of the um, of the gravestone, and then the the ghosts coming towards the children. I thought that whole sequence was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no actual kills. No, oh, the possession of the little girl possessing the old lady. Um, that scene where they did the seance was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. That's right. Where the, where the daughter's underneath the veil, too, and she doesn't know it's her daughter. Yeah. What are you yeah. 
talking that's about a... a woman? That was a funny moment. <laughs> Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. I say that to my mom all the time. That, that was probably my scariest scene, scene in it was the that's, little That's what they used for the previews, I remember. Um, okay. To make it seem like it was a scary movie than it actually was. But there was definitely a spook factor, but no kill count um, per se worth like that was seen. But I do think the others was much more theatrical and much more like, yeah, like you said, with the music and the cinematography and the different right. scenes and the wide lenses, it was more fun to watch, I guess. Okay. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Let's, let's grade them then. Fright Factor. What are we giving frailty? I would give it a 2.5. Uh, I'm going to have to give it a little more only because of Bill Paxton's performance. I thought was real spooky. Let's, were you down with a three on this one? Are you down? Are you okay with a three? Because I did feel like um, <laughs> the, the theory of him killing innocent people was really scary. Slow down. The, the theory of him actually having killed real people until we find or until we find out at the end that they are evil or whatever was scary. You know, the death of innocent people to me was scarier than anything that happened in the others. Um, granted, we find out at the end that's not the case, but up until then, I, that's the only reason I'd want to give it point five more and give it that three. True. I think that the, I'm going to cut you off. I don't know if I did cut you off, but I caught that for, point where you said, we don't know till the end in frailty that these right. people are potentially bad people. So in all, all factors, they, until the end, we think they're actual innocent human victims. Yeah. yeah. That to me was scarier than anything Humans. that happened in the others, but I agree with you in terms of production value. I would probably give the others a three as a whole. Um, what do you think? Fight factor of the others? What do you want to give it? Four, oh, sorry, three. A three. The bell has rung, ladies and gentlemen. We have the most iconic of 2001, and by only 0.5 points, what? 0.5 pentagrams, the others takes the cake. The others is the most iconic horror film slash scary movie of 2001. Uh, what do you think about that? Did that surprise you? That's how it ended up? Uh, I thought it would be more of a landslide for the others, if I'm going to be honest. But once we got start, started talking about frailty, I really liked both the movies. Yeah. Um, one just is more memorable than the other. Um, but I'm so glad that I was able to watch frailty because I'd never heard of it, nor would think to watch it. And I thought the acting was great. The storyline was great. The villains were great. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm glad it came to a close race. Um, yeah, and... I'm going to tell you straight up. I personally like frailty better, but I understand why the other squeaked it out. If I were squeak, to just yeah, it... that's all. It should be only be a squeak, but yeah, frailty was so good. This is the closest one I think uh, there's been in the Icon Showdown. So they're both worth Ooh. watching, but in terms of our objective analysis this evening, um, throwing away my subjective preference of frailty, <laughs> the others is by a hair the, the purpose, most right? iconic mainstream horror of 2001. Um, I want to thank Magpie Jones for once again being a gracious co-host. Um, how do people follow you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Large Travels on social media and uh, eventually via the website Objectify. Very nice. So keep an eye open for that. 
Um, and I want to encourage people that want to support the podcast to check out companydreamer.com, um, which is my website hosting uh, the concept of the dream recording industry and the novel that has been written about it. And additionally, my, um, my central hub of media activities and creative works um, is now live at parasociable.com. Uh, that's spelled P-A-R-A-S-O-C-I-A-B-L-E, parasociable.com. And you can get to know Ian and Jay Hennigan a little bit better. But until oh, the next joy. time, the bell is wrong. The bell is wrong.